0: marlo editor-in-chief of breitbart news and on today's breitbart news daily podcast we begin with a celebration of the end of the federal face diaper mandate a trump-appointed 35-year-old florida-based judge got to be the hero that brought down this most wretched policy we'll introduce you to her and the logic behind it in the opening plus some light celebration big joey the biden got led around the white house annual easter egg roll yesterday by two staffers in bunny suits It's more disturbing than it sounds, and it doesn't sound all that good. And Disney is considering canceling Tinkerbell and Captain Hook, and we explain why. Florida continues to aggressively fight back against the radical left, plus much more in the opening of the show. Today's guest, Joel Pollock, and we discuss the mask mandate's ruling before we launch into a discussion of the latest Durham report findings, the New York Times' attack on God over Holy Weekend, critical race theory and finally his famous activist mother-in-law who also passed away over the weekend fascinating conversation about that all that to come but first a word from our sponsors <laughs> begin with some good news and arguably great news, though I should not have to report such things. So I'll, I'll go with good news that the a Trump appointed federal judge has removed the Biden airplane mask mandates, made them illegal. Uh, and this happened kind of all at once. And it was a, I think, sort of a moment where you can almost uh, you almost couldn't believe it was happening. But the government purports to discover this unheralded power to regulate how individuals appear and behave in public in a long-existent statute, one over 70 years old. judge Catherine Mazel wrote, this history suggests that the power of the government sees is a mirage. Some powerful words, and uh, she ended up single-handedly, Trump-appointed judge who was appointed at the very end of 2020, when Trump was on his way out, and/or I'm sorry, was confirmed, and just uh, right in the lame duck session before Trump left, 35-year-old Florida judge single-handedly killed the mask mandates, and I, I couldn't believe it. My head was spinning at the time, I was trying to get a handle on oh, whether or not this means it's over, whether or not. Um, the Biden administration is going to have to fight back, what, or whether or not there's going to be some sort of desperate way to save it for a time being so that we can have some sort of pro- long protracted court battle. And it looks like absolutely none of that is going to happen because TSA announced soon after that it will not enforce the Biden mass mandates in airports. Uh, and this was pretty big because they didn't specify, I don't think, on the planes themselves, but they did say in the airports, which is TSA Dominion, They said flat out we're not doing it. They put out a note that from an administration official, the agencies are reviewing the decision and assessing potential next steps. In the meantime, today's court decision means the CDC's public transportation masking order is not in effect at this time. Therefore, TSA will not enforce its security directives and emergency amendment requiring mask use on public transportation and transportation hubs at this time. The CDC recommends that people continue to wear masks in indoor public transportation settings. So basically saying they recommend the mask, but they're not going to enforce it. So no enforcement. That was uh, a reporter named Jake Sherman got that statement from an administration official. So basically, the TSA says we're not going to enforce it in the plane. So then what's going to happen on the plane? Well, on the plane immediately we got word that basically all the top airlines are no longer going to be enforcing it in fact there were some reports that were going around online that i could not independently verify but i don't doubt that they happened that a lot of the pilots flat out took the mandates off during flight mid-flight which would be pretty awesome if you were a uh one of the corona obsessed libs who enjoy oh they're all libs at this point right the who savor the idea of everyone masking up between bites, which was one of the recommendations in the Biden executive order on mask mandates from 2021, January 2021, I believe. Um, but a uh, flat out uh, saying that between bites you're supposed to pull them up. But uh, the, all of those who were in the plane and were nervous to travel because they thought they would get the coronavirus while they were in the plane, even though we learned long ago that the plane was one of the best places to be during the virus because they've the art ventilation, as we've said in the show a thousand times. It's a why this was. No one predicted it. I certainly didn't, but it just turned out that was the case. And there's no rule saying you can't wear a mask. There's no rule saying you can't figure out a way to get a KN95 mask, get it perfectly fitted to your face, even get one for a two-year-old. But um, there is now a rule that says that airlines do not have to enforce it. And almost all of them took it off right away, I think. Which is interesting to note in a couple ways because it is uh, it shows you how weak-kneed our corporations are. That all of them did just roll over to this executive action for the most part. I know there's some fighting... Uh, on the religious liberty side, that there's some. There's at least one major airline that's got a big case going on suggesting for religious reasons they shouldn't have to enforce the mask mandates. But the second, this judge, one single judge, 35-year-old woman, appointed by Trump, criticized heavily by the laugh when she was appointed, and uh, confirmed during a lame duck session, Catherine Kimball Mazel hero judge from tampa just flat out races it one fell swoop and all these gigantic airlines worth billions of dollars that always get bailed out by the taxpayers and they're in trouble and they just just boom flip the switch good mass off it is cause for rejoicing i must say as un, unfortunate as it is that this is the case, that this is the way it is, but it is cause or it, it was the one place where it seemed like everyone was forced to do it, even those of you who wore the mask pretty much nowhere else in your life. And I do have friends that did not have to wear a lot of masks. If you lived in a red state, particularly if you lived in a rural part of a red state, um, even a rural part of a blue or purple state in some cases, there wasn't a ton of mask wearing in some communities. Now, I unfortunately always lived in places where I had to wear masks on my uh, on my mouth always and occasionally across my eyes because I don't want to see stuff sometimes. Sometimes I just want to act like I'm not even there. Uh, but the White House called the judge's ruling a disappointment. Not really a tough fight back, but that pales in comparison to what we saw online. The meltdowns online were pretty unbelievable, and I will leave it to some of you to go to brightport.com and read them off to yourself. But there was one doctor in particular who's a blue checkmark doctor who said basically that if you support this, then uh, you're killing children. So immediately jumping to if you want people to be free, whether or not to wear face diapers, often improperly, often made in China, often made of porous cloth or paper. If you want people to be free not to have to go through that theatrical ritual on an airplane, then you're killing kids. They jumped straight there. So we have a roundup of that, and we'll keep doing it because it's just too fun. It's fun. It's fun. It's fun to see the people who wanted us to have this horrible control to have to cover your face Set back the development of children. And when we learned it was all theater, that they stuck with it. That there was maybe the tiniest level of difference at the most these masks were having. And we all had to wear them for so long. And then the last holdout was the planes one of the safer places, period. And then to see people melt down, they would have their precious masks. You know, I had a thought, and this is a hot take for you. But I had a thought, I hope the masks always stay optional. I hope they're never banned. Because I want to see who thinks that we should be wearing these face diapers everywhere. I want to know. Because I want to know uh, that I should keep my kids away from those people. I'm being a little bit tongue-in-cheek, but how much? How much? That I will leave up to you, the audience. Um, but Nolte says that, he, John Nolte, senior writer at Breitbart, who's my actual godfather, he said he always, uh, in his town, uh, when the, all the mandates came off, about 10% kept wearing them, and he thought that was a perfect number. So he knew exactly who the people were, who were the weenies in his neighborhood. If you were on a plane when it happened, those are the coolest stories that I'm hearing, is the people who are on planes, and then the judge comes over loudspeaker, or judge, ha, the uh, pilot comes over loudspeaker. And says, boom, you can take your mask off. There's, you know, reports of stewardesses breaking into tears. Yeah, that would be, feel good. I'll tell you, you know, Mrs. Dr. Marlowe has to wear a mask all day at work, and she really does not like it. It is a, a, you don't totally get used to it. It's not something you just totally get used to. It's because she works in a hospital, so a, what's she supposed to do? There's there's minor ways to protest, but they're not, there's not only so much you can do. You're in a hospital setting so but imagine being a stewardess and you do this particularly a stewardess with our, our politics or a steward i don't want to be npc here oh yeah i'm supposed to say flight attendant that's why that's how i keep up with it there you go that's better yeah flight attendant wow now i've now i've solved sexism um with my terminology my nomenclature so if you're a flight attendant or steward or a stewardess, and you had the politics that we've had, what if you were someone and you know someone's out there who listens to the show all the time and have heard me explain from the early days of the pandemic, the mask were not do anything, and you've had to wear them every day for almost two years or maybe more than two years. And then in one moment, one brilliant flash of lightning, you're, out, you're free. You're free from the bogus face diapers. Cool stuff. Let's see if there's any fight back. I don't think there's anything that the Democrats and the Biden administration can really do at this point. I think they got I think they got to let this one go. We'll see. But I don't I just don't think that the public there's enough public um, imperative to do this to enforce the mass anymore. I think people are over it and i think that you can always wear them if you want to wear them but i think the forcing by the government of these businesses to engage in this behavior is no longer um i i just don't think i just don't think it's there um ilhan omar speaking of airlines by the way was mocked a christian family that broke into song on an airplane um and she wrote I th- I think my family and I should have a prayer session next time I'm on a plane. How do you think that will end? So and then she referred to people as snowflakes who didn't like that she was making fun of Christians singing on a plane. So. I don't know what her tweet is supposed to mean. I guess it's supposed to mean that we're all racist against Muslims. Is it like Americans are racist? See, these people don't like this country very much. This is what she's suggesting. She's taking a flight, like a domestic flight, happy Christians. Somebody did something. These Christians were singing a song, and she didn't like it, so she tweets angrily about it. It's also, I don't see the equivalence. I I know that the vast majority of Muslims in this country fly peacefully around the country, but there were a few of them who did literally use planes as a weapon of war against our country. So I don't know how many Christians who start off with a guitar circle and then eventually hijacked a plane. So I don't know what, this point is not a good point she's trying to make. This is the thing about Twitter that I warn all of you, particularly if you have young people who are inclined to use it, the tweets that matter the most in your life are typically your worst ones. People don't don't forget them. The smear of Christians, the smear of Americans is one thing. but the granting of the equivalence of if there was some sort of a prayer session from a group of people that again, most of them peaceful, but some not peaceful is not you can't grant that equivalence. It's just not the same. There's no history that of, of Christians, you know, using a a, a guitar and, and a drum to commit any violence against people using an airplane. I'm trying to word it as carefully as possible. It's just really weird. It's the Minnesota should be embarrassed. A couple of the biggest other bigger stories today. The one I was absolutely fascinated with was the easter bunny interrupting joe biden while he was talking about afghanistan at the easter egg roll the egg roll is one of these things and i went once when trump was president oh my goodness master marlo jr went some air time again it's the he's a he really should just go to sleep it's much easier much its a it's very very hard to get good air time when you're 30 feet from the microphone and through three walls um But Joe Biden was at this egg roll. This is the White House gathering, typically on the South Lawn, uh, where there's lots of Easter bunnies and you play a game where you hit a hard-boiled egg around some grass. And you eat a thousand hard-boiled eggs. I went, and all of these people who sell eggs for a living, farmers uh, who have, you know, farms where you you, uh, sell eggs, they all come and they show off their... Bestest eggs, and I went. I I must have had like seven eggs, and I was probably pacing myself. And they're just handing you out hard boiled eggs. It, it really is an egg bonanza. And then you take photos with the kids. And I went. I think when it was just me and Mrs. Doctor Marlowe and Master Marlowe, and. It was, it was, it was, it it was fun. It was fun. It was a nice day. I'm happy I got invited. Um, But Joe Biden's out there and he's kind of blockaded from people a little bit, but he's talking a little bit. Someone's asking about Afghanistan. And I guess people got word of it. And sometimes a handler will come out and move a president along. But this handler was an Easter bunny and who was spotting Joe Biden. And once the Easter bunny saw that Joe Biden was going where he shouldn't go, uh, Easter Bunny got him and got him and cleared him out. And the the and 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 you see Joe's face when the Easter Bunny gets in there, and he looks completely stunned that the bunny is interrupting him. But then he goes along with it because he's the leader of the free world. Aside from whoever was in that bunny suit, who's no doubt a Biden staffer, not the real Easter Bunny. Kids, I'll just let you know. And then we noticed at Breitbart and some others online observe this as well. There were two Easter bunnies. What was that about? Why? Why was there two? Perhaps the second Easter bunny was there because that was a second spotter in case first Easter bunny got detained by small child or something. Um, maybe there were two Easter bunnies who were available in case uh, Joe needed to get a, a double surrounded by Easter bunnies and dragged off the stage. And if you think we're, first of all, the videos are just, no matter why, the videos are hilarious, and you should enjoy them at bretbert.com. I know a lot of you did. But even if we're being unnecessarily critical of Joe Biden uh, and his sundowning and his likely dementia, um, there's evidence that he gave us that suggests that that's exactly what happened, that the Easter Bunny was removing him from the premises to protect him from saying something stupid. Because he said, they're not going to let me read a children's book. That's what Joe said. Charlie Spearing reported this uh, uh, for us at Breitbart News. So, well, uh, Dr. Jill Biden, Surgeon General Biden, and her husband, Big Joey, sat together for a book reading at the annual White House Egg Roll. Quote, they're not going to let me read at all. Close quote. Biden said, after... Uh, Dr. Jill introduced the book Brown Bear, Brown Bear, What Do You See? Sounds like a good one. And then Big Joey said, Can I read backwards? Close quote. Ooh, he's sharp. Real sharp. So again, they're coaching him up a lot about what he's able to do. And that's why when people see the Easter Bunny shuffle him off, Uh, a lot of us like me, I just found it endlessly amusing. But there are people who I was, speaking to who are thinking that that this is grounds for removal from office i think that's going too far but there are people who are out there who think that it is evidence that he's incapable of running the free world if he can't have a conversation without easter buddy interrupting him and i have to say i see the logic there i'm just going to enjoy this one for fun but a lot of people are thinking oh this is a sign that we're uh we we have a puppet and it's true it's true I think of all the things he's done, that's uh, that you could remove him from office for. I think this is not not number one, a tough day for the White House. The White House has refused to apologize after reports saying the Border Patrol agents cleared of uh, whipping migrants. So Department of Homeland Security had a internal investigation into that alleged news cycle in 20 or it was a real news cycle about the alleged whipping of migrants in September of 2021 which caused a huge storm online and it's very challenging for me at Breitbart as editor because I wanted to get out there and you know defend the agents that was my instinct figuring it was probably fake news but we tried to wait a couple days and I remember some conversations with Brandon Darby our border Cartel Chronicles editor about what we do and we kind of held fire a little bit we kind of put out there we're thinking this is going to be fake news but we do we were trying to be responsible we we're trying to wait and figure out actually what happened because can't be whipping migrants if they should be here or not they're lawbreakers or not we can't do that uh, first of all uh, it's it's you know not good behavior and second of all it's terrible optics and we'll set back the cause of closing the border so double whammy there so but we're trying to be cautious and then we uh, we, know Jen Psaki in the White House is out there saying flat out this whipping's happened and then uh and then all of a sudden we learn months later after investigation all right it didn't happen and the White House would apologize they won't take it back so uh, Jen Psaki is, by the way, ahead to MSNBC, where she'll be an MSNBC contributor coming up soon. She'll be launching a show on an MSNBC streaming network, which I don't know uh, who needs that show. But MSNBC thinks thinks it's appropriate to do that. And this is one where even the left wing journalism world that knows the Biden administration and the journalism establishment are the same. We had a level of outrage over it. Um, but the, I, I will note that MSNBC contributor, Malcolm Nance, who I sparred with on a uh, Bill Maher show five years ago, has now left MSNBC and is now literally fighting war against Russia and Ukraine. It's not a joke all over the internet, but he uh, quit MSNBC or was, you know, relieved of his duties on MSNBC one the other, and now he's out there uh, fighting uh, Putin in Ukraine. And I have to say I don't you know, you know, I don't know exactly what he's doing, if it's just purely for optics or whether or not he's out there on the front lines. Maybe he is. But you say join the foreign legion. Uh, I I don't I don't hate it. If you as an individual hate Putin so much and you want to fight him, then by all means, figure out a way to get involved uh, with Ukraine. I actually uh, like it more than the idea of we're going to send a bunch of American uh, uh, enlisted uh, people uh, to the the, the, uh, the senate american enlisted the people there it doesn't make any sense to me that we would do that and maybe this is a good alternative approach the people who are the most fired up they can go join, join up with ukraine but it's interesting to see those on cnn and msnbc are the ones who are trying to get american forces into war against putin they want us in a hot war against nuclear russia so Uh, Of course, there's a bit of a theatrical stunt element to it, but maybe he's really doing it. If he's on the front lines, I mean, that sounds takes a certain level of bravery for sure. And I like that approach that let's just take the people who are giving these strident opinions online about how we should go to war. Uh, They can get started. It's great. It's a great development. And so all the warmongers should go out there. And I think it's a clear message to all of those who are on the CNN side. There's lots of people on CNN calling for war. Chris Coons wants war. I would love to see Chris Coons in a flak jacket and, um, you know, some some heavy duty gear and some heavy duty weaponry out there front lines. Be great. That was in a very clear signal. I had one more uh, immigration item. Twenty three migrants on a terror watch list that were arrested of uh, apparently people lost track of them, according to a report Fox News had. They had a FOIA into the terrorist screening database and they found that some 23 migrants or so, uh, names match the list. And we don't have a clear sense of the border patrols lost track of them or not. A big story on this from Bob Price and Randy Clark at Breitbart. Uh, but a disturbing thing, let's we'll keep an eye on this. See if we can track it down. I mean, maybe they're all accounted for. Maybe this is just sprung on the Big Joey administration. But the thing that also is noteworthy is that if 23 migrants were caught and this was in a period between January and December of 2021, then remember, you're probably looking at that number to double that number did not get caught. So we're talking about, you know, 40 to 70 um, migrants from the terror watch list probably got in the country and are here. So uh, it's a horrifying statistic, which the White House doesn't seem to understand. Um, We've got some audio on this or something similar, which is Jen Psaki and Peter Ducey going back and forth. Let's play cut three, please, Haley.
1: We have new reporting that at least 23 people apprehended at the southern border in 2021 are on the terror watch list. Why do you guys think it is that somebody on a terror watch list would want to get into the United States undetected? Well, I, I can't make an assessment of that. But what I can tell you is that your data you're citing here means the Border Patrol was doing their job. I mean, so, they so they 52, apprehended people at the border. Two
0: thousand illegal immigrants a day Pause. got away. Wow. So, yeah, so so Deuce is going the right approach, but she she is a liar. Or she's an idiot. It's one or the other or, or both. Um, because she knows the data that I was sharing that the Border Patrol doesn't catch everyone. The level of gotaways is roughly about 100%, if not 200% of uh, equal to the number of those who are apprehended. So the this is this is the whole trick, is that for everyone caught, there's probably one that got through. And so her saying, good, we caught 23. She has no evidence to suggest 23 is the total number. All the evidence suggests the number is probably much, much, much higher than that, that tried to get through. Continue.
1: Are you saying that you can say with certainty none of them are on a terror watch list? Here's what we're talking about. Encounters we know and of a suspected terrorists attempting to cross the southern border. They're very uncommon. Uh, we're talking about a few dozen annual encounters at most, At most, uh, and these encounters represent significantly less than the 0.01% of total encounters per fiscal year in recent years. But I'd note, these individuals, these 23 people, the Border Patrol, they stopped them. They prevented them from getting into the country. They're protecting our homeland and keeping us safe. So the president is not worried about in the southern border being exploited by people trying to come in and kill Americans. He's grateful to the Border Patrol for doing their job and, right, and stopping these people
0: um, not not my favorite juicy follow-up but uh, but pretty good overall to bring this to people's attention. according to a court brief Biden released over 800,000 I'm sorry I'm 80,000 border crossers in the. US in just March. So just March 80,000 caught and released. Remember the woke never have enough. they're never satisfied. And they will always try to take more and if you have noticed over the last couple of years Disney has started to either edit or put disclaimers on their older classic movies And the latest one that's on the hot seat is Peter Pan where Tinker Bell and Captain Hook are potentially problematic now what I would do if I was feeling more playful I would say uh, call in and guess why Tinker Bell and Captain Hook are potentially problematic and create negative stereotypes and should perhaps get labeled or censored Um, but I will just cut to the chase so Tinkerbell uh, creates body positivity issues because I guess uh, her body is too good or something so she creates unrealistic expectations and Captain Hook is disabled so it could create a phobia of disabled people because he's got a hook so there you go uh, next up is Ursula the Sea Witch from The Little Mermaid that apparently m- could be queer-coded and homophobic. So those of you who thought whether or not Ursula the Sea Witch was queer or uh, a homosexual, I hadn't had that thought, having watched The Little Mermaid a few times. But uh, she might be, and it might be anti-queer and homophobic. Um, yesterday, I gave some litany of New York time. To- I'm sorry, New York City, uh, crime issues. Real Housewives star Bethany Frankel, who sells high-end real estate in New York, said New York's not safe. I don't want my daughter walking around following the subway shooting. So it's it's influential. Influential person. Very popular reality TV star. And she sells homes, the type of homes that have, you know, heated floors in the bathrooms. And she still thinks it's not safe. So imagine living in a neighborhood where you can afford 10, 12, Twenty dollar homes but not safe to walk to school that's what we're getting for going for New York very odd place Uh, some good fight back content for you Florida's rejected 41 percent of proposed textbooks over critical race theory indoctrination in one subject matter that's great news they figured 41 percent of textbooks a critical race theory in it so Ron DeSantis is blocking it good for him he delivers all the time here is the crazy part of it the subject matter math how on earth were 41 percent of the proposed textbooks in the state of florida with regards to math have critical race theory in it frightening republican swing voters have uh, upped their registration about a half a million from democrats across five battleground states so a huge Surges in Florida, Pennsylvania, North Carolina, Iowa, Oklahoma, and Nevada on behalf of Republicans. Democrats gained ground in Colorado and California. California is probably because Republicans are just leaving. But an interesting note, and we'll explore that one down the road, I'm sure. Today is Joel Pollock, senior editor at large for Esther Breitbart News. He is a lawyer, so we launch into a discussion of the mask mandates and the decision to drop those. We get the latest from the Durham report and some overlap with Biden world. Yes, direct ties between the Clinton camp, behind the Russia collusion hoax in Biden's current national security apparatus. And then we have a fascinating discussion about his mother-in-law, Rhoda Kadali, who was an activist in South Africa and worked closely with Nelson Mandela, not just in the government but out. Really interesting stuff about her. She passed away, and it's important to reflect on the historically significant figures, especially if one is in your colleague's family. So interesting conversation with Joel. Let's hear it. Joel, are you up in the Marjorie Taylor Greene story where they're trying to throw her off the ballot for January the 6th stuff?
1: Yeah, it's another attempt to use this insurrection label uh, to get rid of opponents Democrats don't like. And it's anti-democratic. I mean, unless you've actually taken up arms against the United States, the provisions of that amendment to the Constitution do not apply to you. But what Democrats are doing is they're trying to paint the Republican Party with a broad brush. And it starts with Marjorie Taylor Greene, but it will go on to other representatives, anybody who voted against certifying any state's electoral college results. Keeping in mind, of course, that Democrats themselves objected to the electoral college results in several elections, but they're now identifying that as aiding an insurrection. Maybe even criticizing the election is aiding an insurrection. And according to the way they've behaved, representing... A presidential campaign in court is aiding an insurrection. They're basically criminalizing ordinary political activity. This is a totalitarian attempt to wipe out the Republican opposition and install a de facto one-party state.
0: Yeah, that's exactly what's happening. And they did this with their trying to establish a de facto one-party media by attacking you know any conservative they tried to cancel breitbart you know and they kick off conservatives from twitter and those they can't kick off twitter then they try to attack them and make their lives miserable and this is the way the left operates and joel historically speaking and you're probably even a better student of history than than i am i mean this is what a left-wing regimes do throughout time um, it is they move in a totalitarian direction until they try to have a one-party state. This is just where things go. And if you want to see what it looks like in the end, uh, take a look at what China's doing right now, uh, clearing out people's apartment buildings with people in uh, plastic jumpsuits, but ostensibly for a coronavirus outbreak that they can't even prove is really happening.
1: Right, and this is what happens in Iran. In Iran, they have something called voting, but what happens is the... Clerics, the Ayatollahs, review the list of candidates and they eliminate anyone who doesn't support the Islamic revolution in the country to the extent that the Ayatollahs are satisfied with their ideological purity. So anyone who has any ideas about reform is automatically disqualified. And that's the idea here, is that Democrats want to define any attempt to challenge the electoral results, which, by the way, Biden said. He bragged before the election he was going to do. He hired 600 lawyers, he said, to challenge the election results. So anyone who does that on the Republican side now or supports that, you know, someone like me, I don't believe the election was fraudulent, but I have a lot of criticisms of the way it was run. I don't think it was free or fair. That means that I can never participate in the politics of this country because I am labeled an insurrectionist. That's the idea.
0: Yeah, that's exactly right. And these are all different ways to try to cancel people and the left's tactics are constantly changing and they're evolving and a lot of the times they get sharper and you always have to assume they're getting sharper. Um, so this is something that is we I mean, constant surveillance uh, on this. Um, Joel, let me run some news stories by you and I got a number of them I brought up on yesterday's broadcast your piece over the weekend on how the New York Times is pushed over uh, uh, over Easter weekend, also Passover week, so Holy Week for those in the Jewish faith. Let's get rid of God. Uh, I don't want to overly indulge the calm unless you think we should because it feels like it's just trolling but is it not trolling? Is this really sincere? The New York Times really thought that this was a good idea to push this out there at this time.
1: This is trolling to some extent. They know that we will react to it but it is also the perspective of the New York Times. This is the contempt that they have for readers of faith. The piece isn't even very good. I mean, the the piece in which they call for the elimination of God is one that basically says, well, there are some people who say they believe in God who don't do good things for other people. They're not sufficiently charitable. They're not sufficiently tolerant. Therefore, these people... Mean we must reject faith altogether. I mean, it's just ridiculous. It's it's sort of a seventh or eighth grade analysis of why you don't want to go to church that Sunday with your family. I mean, it's it's just dumb, and yet they threw it in our faces like that. I guess they thought it was witty or something, but um, they also knew that we would react to it. So there's some trolling going on, but it does speak to a broader decline in faith in the country over the last 20 years. American participation in religion has gone down. And we tend to think of religion as holding us back from enjoying things in life that perhaps our religious leaders tell us to avoid, you know, particularly sex, for example. We we think of faith as opposed to fun and sex and partying and whatever. The reality is that as our faith has declined as a nation, we're also having less less sex. We're also showing more depression. We're we're showing less of a tendency to, to have fun, to do the things that we think religion holds us back from doing so it's an interesting correlation that more faith actually equals more of the things that satisfy us as human beings but the New York Times likes people to be miserable the left in general wants people to be miserable because miserable people demand social change miserable people demand political revolution whereas happy people tend to like things to stay the way they are or they tend to want people to improve life within a certain framework that they want to preserve. So Mm. the New York Times is trolling to some extent, but this is the worldview that they and Hollywood and others have used to make Americans miserable and hopefully corral us into a revolutionary mindset that they think that they achieved in 2020 with the election of Joe Biden as the head of this left-wing vanguard. It's all falling apart around them, They don't want to admit that yet, but that's the result. We're seeing society fall apart, and we're also seeing the left fail at its own political goals, but even when the left fails to achieve what it promised the people it would do, it then just clings to power. So it's of a piece with the attempt to disqualify Republicans from the ballot. They want us miserable, silent, and powerless.
0: Yeah, that is true, and I think that's a very interesting point that when I'm— just in my personal life, when I'm happiest, I want to make a su- subtle changes. I'm always trying to improve things. But when I'm uh, least happy, that I'm thinking about doing something radical. Um, and that is a interesting, interesting take because I do think that applies to the macro. And I hadn't thought of it that way. Um, let me get your thoughts on the big mask mandate news because you're an attorney, Harvard trained attorney, and uh, it is. I was initially when the judge, the Florida judge, Trump appointed. Uh, shot down the Biden mask rules uh, i my first thought was okay well this is going to get overturned somehow so i was a little cautious for those couple hours but then when the tsa came out and said we're not going to do the mass in the airports and the airlines that we're not doing on the planes uh, i took it as a sign of crying uncle um am, is it premature or are you pretty confident in this one that it was, the good guy is going to win
1: well how do you put this genie back in the bottle i mean yes the judge. The judge made the ruling on grounds that might be controversial. She basically said the CDC didn't jump through all the administrative hoops. And that's a way that judges have ruled against presidential executive orders in the past. When Trump ordered that the census gather data on citizenship, the reason it was struck down at the Supreme Court and very narrowly, by the way, it wasn't like a nine-zero decision. I think it was 5-4, but the reason it was struck down was they said, well, you didn't go through all the administrative procedures. But with this mask mandate, you know, once people have taken off the masks, once you see those videos, viral videos of people celebrating on flights, how are you ever going to get people to put them on again? So the administration could win in... The court of appeals they could win at the supreme court but there's no way americans will ever comply with this mandate ever again especially after flying and we hope flying without a spread of coronavirus without a new surge you know once you have a couple of weeks of this there's no way people will ever comply again so the judge basically took the genie out of the bottle and it's not going back
0: uh, do you think that there'll be any consequences for her because we're in this new mode and we just watched this happen Clarence thomas where if you're a judge the left doesn't like that they don't they're 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 no longer in the elections of consequences uh camp they're now in the well it doesn't matter or we'll try to take this person out camp
1: well she's now a front runner for the presidential nomination in 2028 so yeah that's how i sure. would say the consequences play out. <laughs> yeah know? i absolutely. mean she's going to She's going to become a target for the left. You know, they're already going after her. They're saying she wasn't qualified to be a judge.
0: She was yeah, what do they mean by that? By the way, the judge Catherine Kimball Mizzell, uh deserves the highest amount of praise and a heroic status. But what what is a... Why do they say they're trying to... She must be a, a stupid or something because she stood up to the mob?
1: They're saying that she made a political decision. She just ruled based on her politics, her ostensible support for Trump or something. That's how they expect Democratic appointed judges to behave, right? That's how they expect Ketanji Brown Jackson to behave. That's why they nominate liberals to the court. They don't nominate them to hand down great works of legal thinking and great ruminations on the law and the Constitution. They they put them on the court to vote with the left. So the minute that they perceive that a Trump-appointed judge might have done that, which I don't think she did, by the way, I think she had good legal reasons for what she did, but they, they just cast it as, oh, you know, Republicans are just nominating judges who will vote with them. Well, Democrats do that, so if that's the case, what's so wrong with that? I mean, you know, I wish it weren't that way, but Democrats are perfectly happy to do that when it's a Democrat-appointed judge.
0: an update is, in general, where we're at with the Durham investigation into Hillary Clinton and her network and what the significance is of these five pleading the fifth?
1: Well, it's significant because more and more evidence is emerging that Hillary Clinton's campaign is directly implicated in what the prosecutors are calling a conspiracy to lie to the federal government, lie to the FBI about Russia collusion between the Trump campaign and Vladimir Putin. And the Clinton campaign and the defendant, which is a guy named Michael Sussman, who was a lawyer for the campaign, they're trying to keep certain documents out of the evidence at the trial. They're citing attorney-client privilege. They don't want these emails to come out between the Clinton campaign and these tech researchers at Georgia Tech University and Michael Sussman and all these other people that will basically show, the prosecutor says, that they conspired to fool the FBI into following what they knew was a contrived conspiracy theory that they hoped would upend Donald Trump's chances in the election in 2016. So more and more, Durham is showing that he has evidence that there was a close connection between the Clinton campaign and this lawyer who's accused of lying to the FBI. That, that's what he's on trial for, something we call a process crime, but What Durham is saying is this guy didn't just lie to the FBI. He lied to cover up a larger conspiracy. And that conspiracy is important not just because it brings us closer to culpability for Hillary Clinton, but it also implicates people who are currently serving in high office. One of the Clinton campaign officials who is apparently connected to all this is Jake Sullivan. He's now the National Security Advisor. And he, according to some of the evidence, is apparently the guy who came up with the idea of pinning Russia on Trump. Now he sits in the White House and he tells us what Russia is doing in Ukraine. It really is important to his credibility, but the media never ask about it. But Durham is asking about it. Durham wants to see the evidence. He wants to see the emails. And the defense is trying to keep them out. What Durham did in court last Friday, was he said, well, I don't even need to see the substance of the emails. All we need to introduce is the headings of the emails. We just need to show you that these people were communicating to establish a conspiracy. That's what conspiracy is. It's a meeting of the minds. As long as you have these people agreeing in some sense to work together, then everyone involved in the conspiracy is responsible for everything everybody else does until they opt out in some proactive way. So... The defense is trying very, very hard to keep this stuff out, and Durham is trying to get it in. He's also trying to offer immunity to one witness that is referred to as Researcher 2. Whoever Researcher 2 is has the goods on a lot of what the Clinton campaign was doing, and they have the goods on what Mark Elias was doing. He's the Democratic election lawyer who was responsible for vote by mail across the nation in 2020. He still leads a lot of the challenges going on right now as we speak to republican district maps he's very very important to the democrats when they challenge elections or when they shape the way elections are going to be held and he was the guy we already know this to be true he was the guy who arranged for the payment of fusion gps to put together the steel dossier the fraudulent steel dossier that tried to link trump with russia in a separate russia collusion attempt there were there were really two attempts going on at the same time and he was responsible for the payments. The payments were then covered up. And recently, Hillary Clinton and the Democratic National Committee were fined by the Federal Election Commission for covering up those payments. They didn't admit publicly what those payments were about on their disclosure forms. So they had to pay a fine, which is a very small penalty. But this conspiracy is coming more and more into the light. And Durham, in his very slow and methodical way, is working through the details and showing that he has a lot of evidence and that evidence is going to lead to some very high people
0: so so it looks like though this is something that's so exciting that if he's offering immunity he's offering immunity to someone who uh he's offering immunity to someone who he thinks is really going to be able to deliver the goods but is this a guarantee he's going to be able to make this trade
1: i think so i think the sussman legal team is Floundering. They've had several losses in court. This is an Obama appointed judge, and he's basically said that he's not going to throw out the charges. The trial is going to begin in May. So time is running out. We could see some sort of a plea deal, but that also might not happen. You might see Sussman deciding he's going to throw the Clintons under the bus. He's going to defend his own good name or whatever. Um, The problem, also, we saw this in a recent revelation, is that Durham has a text message in which Sussman repeats what he allegedly told the FBI verbally, which is that he wasn't working for anyone else. He was just a concerned citizen reporting what he knew of about allegations of Russia collusion. But the truth is he was working at the time as a Clinton campaign lawyer. And so Durham is going after all that. So this is a very tough one for Democrats because if they accept a plea deal, then Durham has got another guilty plea and he can, go forward with more prosecutions, he becomes more credible, harder to ignore. Uh, But if they go to trial, then more evidence comes out. There's more uh, that airs in public. So they have more reputational damage. But for, for those who said, hang on, you know, give Durham some time, it's sort of a vindication because he really is showing, filing by filing, that the Clinton campaign was deeply involved in a conspiracy to lie to the American public, to lie to law enforcement, to eliminate their political opponent and later to undermine the president of the United States, the democratically elected president of the United States and get him thrown out of office on the basis of these lies. And they like to talk about January 6th disqualifying people. The Democrats failed, refused, rejected, they they just didn't observe the democratic process. They rejected the 2016 election and they they actually arguably damaged national security because Trump could not keep his national security advisor because of these charges, he could not deal with Russia properly. Because of these charges that were that were fake, these these collusion conspiracy theory charges, they were they were just fake and they were knowingly fake and they were cooked up by the Clinton campaign. So all roads are basically leading back to Hillary Clinton, and she has yet to be asked what she knew about any of this. Um, so it's significant that her aides, five of the aides connected to the Clinton campaign, are pleading the Fifth Amendment. You know, it doesn't mean they were guilty of something necessarily, but it does show you that. There's something there that they're trying to hide. And Durham is saying, well, I may not be able to get all these people because they do have Fifth Amendment rights, but I'm going to turn at least one of them. And what that person is going to give us is going to lead to more prosecution.
0: Uh, Joel Pollock again, senior editor-at-large for us at Breitbart News. Joel, a couple of the stories I want to r- run past you. One that I know is on your rundown, but I've been looking for excuse to bring this up, and I'm sure you're aware of it. The I- Atlantic Magazine, which is run by an incredibly white woman named Lorene Powell Jobs, who makes all of her money from uh, China, namely Apple and Disney stock. Uh, she funds the... Uh, magazine that used to have a great reputation but now puts out kind of anti-trump fake news published a story by ibram x kendi who is the top critical race theory proponent in the united states though i'm sure he wouldn't frame himself that way but that, that really is what he what he does and he says conservatives are trying to stop crt is crt in schools because they are grooming children to become white supremacists so this is what this pay this magazine very white person uh, commissions a a radical black activist to write that our schools are indoctrinating children to become white supremacists. It is uh, are we living are we living in a bizarre world, Joel? Because one of us is on a different planet, either me or Ibram X Kendi.
1: Well, according to Ibram X Kendi, the entire system of society and governance is white supremacist. So if you simply reproduce that by teaching civics to children, then you are indoctrinating them with white supremacy. Sort of like saying math is racist, which some people on the left have said. So if you teach math to kids, you're turning them into white supremacists. I mean, it's completely ridiculous, but all it does is create demand for his books, demand for his lectures. He gets tens of thousands of dollars from public universities to speak about how guilty they are and... It's just a cash cow for him. I mean, he probably believes it as well. It's also one way of growing the market for his nonsense.
0: Yeah, of course it is, but it's just striking to me that this is this is either trying to change the t- the subject from the Disney stuff, is to try to make it seem like actually the American system is just trying to make a bunch of white supremacists. So it's just all uh, people who are just deeply, deeply unhappy with our country and want to radically change it. Okay, so Joel, uh, I did want to mention something that uh, is uh, interesting, This will be interesting to the audience, that Joel's mother-in-law was actually a very prominent a political activist in South Africa and has huge name recognition was very well known there and she passed away over the weekend and my condolences to you and your family Joel uh, could you I know we spoke about her at least once before on the show but could you tell the audience a little bit about your mother-in-law and who she was and why she's such a significant person and lessons you could learn from her
1: yeah my mother-in-law Rhoda Kadali was one of the most significant writers in contemporary South Africa She grew up in a segregated environment under a system called apartheid, which was legalized segregation. And it was worse than that because her family was thrown out of their home. They were living in an area that was declared white and because they were mixed race or colored, they were thrown out and moved elsewhere. She grew up in that environment, experiencing that sort of real systemic racism directly. And as she grew older, she joined the anti-apartheid movement, but she also noticed that the movement was mistreating women. And so she stood up for women within that movement. She stood up for women on the left who were being oppressed, really, by the left as well as by the government the left was fighting against. And so she became quite well known, and she was appointed by Nelson Mandela in the New South Africa to something called the Human Rights Commission, which was created to hold the government accountable for its human rights performance. They wanted to make sure that apartheid or things like it never happened again. And in that role, she became very, very public and very, very visible as the most active member of that commission. But after having a huge impact, she resigned in protest because she felt the government wasn't doing enough to create a culture of human rights. She then started an organization called Impumalelo, which basically means success in one of the African languages, And this organization rewarded successful development projects in poor communities. So she really put her money where her mouth was. And she wasn't just complaining about the government failing to do enough for people, but she took it upon herself to do what she felt the government wasn't doing. And at the same time, she became an opinion columnist who was criticizing the government. And at first, she criticized the government from the left. But over time, she began to criticize the South African government from what we might consider a conservative position. She felt that they were making race the be-all and end-all of politics. She felt that they were violating the checks and balances of the Constitution. She felt that they were institutionalizing corruption through left-wing ideology. And so she became quite beloved across the political spectrum in South Africa. And she was also one of the first people to speak out as a black woman who had supported the new government against that government. She was, in a sense, kind of like a Candace Owens figure in South Africa, but with a huge degree of credibility. You know, Candace Owens is seen as a pundit, and she's got a lot of interesting things to say. But Rhoda Kadali was someone who had actually built the new government, had participated in it, had been appointed by Nelson Mandela. And so she had real credibility and, and experience that she put behind her criticisms. And so when she criticized the government, the government couldn't ignore what she said. And she really had a huge string of successes in, in busting corruption and mismanagement in the government. She also exposed the media, the complicity of the media, particularly media that flattered the government, left-leaning media that tried to put down the people in attempts to curry favor with the government. And she was a very astute observer of American politics. And around about 2015, she started to take an interest in what was going on over here. And she predicted way ahead of most people that Donald Trump would become the president of the United States. And she saw Trump as a kind of kindred spirit because he stood up to the media and he was also someone who was going to reform the American political system, as she saw it. So she became quite supportive of Trump. Now, she was also supportive of other candidates she saw as potential reformers. But when Trump won the nomination and when he won the presidency, she became a very staunch defender of Donald Trump in South Africa, where the media was basically following CNN's lead and considering Trump the next third Reich of Germany or something like that. She defended Trump, defended his accomplishments. She moved here to be with us and to be with my kids in 2018, and she continued to write for the South African press. She continued to write from a different perspective than they were getting from the international news media, which, again, follows a CNN or New York Times line. It's a real pity that the only American TV news source that South Africans get is CNN. CNN has this worldwide presence. They're a worldwide brand, and they don't take that responsibility seriously. They're as crazy on the international cable, on, on, on the worldwide airwaves, as they are here. So they present this skewed vision of America, and she basically presented an alternative vision. And, and she was beloved. I mean, she also just had all kinds of friends, of every kind of background. She was deeply involved in the arts community. And even people who argued with her and people she criticized loved her. So her death a few days ago from lung cancer, you know, she never smoked. She got lung cancer and, and died after a battle of about seven months. You know, her death really shocked people and the outpouring around the world has been has been incredible. But she was just a feisty, delightful, at times infuriating, large presence. And you know, she just leaves this hole uh, not just in South Africa, but but here in American politics as well. She made a lot of political friends here. She connected with people of a like mind. She had a lot of conservative admirers here. And, you know, she, she was uh, deeply frustrated by the pandemic because it meant that she couldn't go out. She couldn't explore her new surroundings in the United States. She really resisted a lot of the uh, mask mandates. I, I was very sorry that she wasn't around anymore to see the lifting of the mask mandate on transportation. She would have seen it as a complete vindication. She just disliked governments that abused their power. And she wrote about it and she shared her her views with others. She was also an incredibly loving and warm person. So the world has really lost her too soon. And I'm actually, hopefully, publishing a biography of her. You know, when she was diagnosed with, with cancer, we started immediately working on a biography telling the story of her life, her extraordinary journey from segregation in South Africa to becoming essentially a Trump supporter in the United States. And it's this incredible journey, and it's a reminder, I think, to people who are out there with a conservative point of view that is often attacked by the media, It can often feel really lonely. You're not alone. There are people who have traveled some incredible roads who are walking with you on this road as well. There are people who have fought the world's noblest struggles, the struggles that the left tries to claim for itself, and they're with you on this one. You're, you're not in the legacy of you know Adolf Hitler, Attila the Hun, you know, Bull Connor, all the things that Democrats throw at you. Your legacy is also the legacy. It's not that legacy. Your legacy instead is, is the legacy of Rhoda Kadali. It's in some ways the, the true legacy of Martin Luther King, Nelson Mandela, people who fought for freedom, people who fought to get rid of racial identity as a factor in politics. So I, I think her, her life will continue to inspire people, and I'm, I'm looking forward, hopefully, to that biography coming out before the end of the year.
0: Really moving, Joel, and everyone should read Joel's memorial piece that he has up at Breitbart News that you can find, but interesting, important lessons, and I think a lot of things that are really sort of traverse political lines which i think is something so rare these days but uh anyway i god rest her soul wrote kadali joel's mother-in-law you should read all about her. really cool photo with her nelson mandela you should check that out as well and photos with her and joel uh, but thanks joel appreciate it and appreciate you sharing this with us as well as all your analysis on the news thanks alex all we have for today thanks to producers Haley and Greg Evan and thanks to all of you for sharing our content and giving a five-star review all that's very helpful and we'll talk to you tomorrow